0: Welcome, everybody, to the Find Flow Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McDermott, and I have a very special guest today, uh, Isaac Sakalik. Um, so Isaac and I have met uh, a few times uh, doing some other things, and uh, he is the president of Star CIO and has a uh, long background as in the IT world and, and as a CIO and as a writer. Uh, he's, he does a lot of work on social media. He's an author. He put, he put out a book. Uh, a couple years ago, and I think you have a new book coming out uh, soon, right? In the next couple weeks. Isaac, so welcome to the show.
1: So what's
0: uh, what's your book? It's coming out in what, in two weeks? And, And what's the name of it?
1: New book is coming out July 6th. It's called Digital Trailblazer. It sort of is almost a prequel to this book, Driving Digital that you see behind me. Driving Digital was my playbook as a CIO, trying to figure out how to transform organizations that didn't have competencies in data and technology. And, you know, start building apps, started moving to the cloud, started doing more automation and how to help them really use technology as a strategic advantage. So I wrote my playbook down, it became a bestseller. I do a lot of writing and speaking on it now and driving digital is really for people who are aspiring to become transformation leaders. And it's filled with stories uh, that I've lived through. So you get to live in my shoes, um, through bridge calls, Trying to solve P ones, uh, trying to convince executives to revamp their data processing pipelines. Uh, my first board meeting, solving really d- difficult defects as a software developer, and at the end of every chapter, I leave lessons learned. Uh, so there's a f- total of fifty of them in the book, and it's called Digital Trailblazer. Awesome, and the,
0: and the movie's coming out in the fall. Is that what you said? <laughs> you
1: know every time i get a book contract and i see what the movie rights are and i'm like you know yeah. that will be. i, a I good hear you're going up against maverick
0: have. three next time so oh uh, so good luck with that um all right so we're gonna <laughs> i wouldn't I, I wouldn't mind having yeah, Cr- yeah, cruise flame yeah. me <laughs> um so um so let, we're, today we're going to talk so you and i've had a lot of conversations offline in other, in other scenarios and uh you know, I love your perspectives on digital transformation and the impact on IT ops. So today, I really wanted to kind of focus in on that, right? Let's talk talk about digital transformation. Let's talk about the impact on IT ops. Uh, love to get your thoughts on AI ops and uh, specifically around monitoring. I know you and I have had some really interesting conversations about monitoring and observability in the AI ops world. And finally, uh, a place close to my heart uh, and yours, too, is really kind of the impact of automation uh, in in, from ai ops and where we're going with that mm-hmm. and then so so let's get started on on digital transformation right so give me give me some of your thoughts just general thoughts on on digital transformation and the impact in on the it ops organization yeah
1: for yeah sure first is you know my vantage point of digital transformation starts with um evolving business models building customer experiences that really delight customers, um, let you go into new markets, building applications out, uh, immersive digital and physical experiences, which, you know, are big in retail, but they're going to become bigger in banking and hospitals. You know, so to me, it's really about making technology and data strategic advantage. And what I've seen over my career, I got my start um, as a CTO in startups working in media um, and then became a cio in media construction and financial services sort of so sort of like um early stage disruption in media mid-stage with financial services and later stage with construction you know um all these companies are investing more in technology one way or another you know moving to hundreds of SaaS applications used across the organization, now thinking about integrating them, building customer-facing applications, um, moving more workloads into cloud environments, and increasingly more um, edge and uh, hybrid cloud environments. So if you look at any company I work with today, you look at their technology footprint from 15 years ago versus today, I mean, the boxes have gotten smaller. We've gotten more virtualized. um, So, you know, we're using more cloud native types of infrastructure, but the number of applications, the amount of data that we're hosting, the expected service levels are all going up. And if you check most of the analyst reports around this. We're, it's just not getting any easier for IT operations. It's not like we're shutting down legacy systems as fast as we're launching new applications and supporting them. And so that's the paradox many IT operations are fitting is like, how do we continue to innovate, continue to evolve technology, knowing that we cannot shut down our legacy systems fast enough. And so a lot of how it operations intersects with digital transformation aims to solve that. Yeah, it's interesting problem. that
0: you bring that up, right, um, because we talk a lot about digital transformation, especially in the last couple of years of the pandemic and the acceleration of of that and the acceleration of mobile usage by consumers and then the um, the proliferation of consumer experience into the enterprise right um people demanding more as customer as employees what they what they use every day outside and it, it reminds me of a story I was uh, I was actually riding motorcycles out in southern Nevada northern California border and there's a ton of these um, solar panel farms out there just massive solar panel farms and we're talking I think I think I counted one mm-hmm. it was like I mean, we were riding by it, and I tracked it. It was about two miles wide, right, and as deep. I don't know how deep it was. And we just happened to stop someplace, and we ran into a guy that worked there. Mm -hmm. And we started talking to him, and I said, wow. I said, man, Mm -hmm. that's a huge operation. He's like, yeah. He's like, well, not really. We only have, like, 12 people working there, right? So he's got this almost, like, four-square-mile farm, so when you talk about like energy, right, and you think energy is the legacy business of every you know like the most legacy business, as we start as these these um, sectors start as um, uh, these sectors start uh, evolving and disrupting with renewable energy, that's all driven by technology. I mean, you can't manage you know four square miles of 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 uh, a solar farm with twelve people unless they're everything is just highly automated. Everything's run by technology. So every sector is being impacted by this. And and we're seeing it with our customers too, where you just got, uh, there's just so much complexity coming in now to at operations and everything is this technology enablement of every part of the business is just accelerating.
1: Yeah, it's that, definitely the case. It's, you know, um, like I said, you see it in, industries that were more natively digital to start out with, like media and retail, you know, going with, you know, digital consumption of media and, you know, e commerce. Um, and now I have construction companies who, you know, mm-hmm. they were paper based just a decade ago, you know, with big drawing farms, and now they're D and 5d CAD software with project scheduling software. And they're trying to integrate five, six, seven data sources, so they can start looking at and answering questions like, you know, how how profitable are certain projects, and you know, which project managers are more efficient in how they're managing their projects, and can we be more aggressive bidding um, against certain types of projects? These aren't questions that construction companies were asking ten years ago. And I use that as an example because. If you look at you know the Gartner reports about 10 years ago about what industries and how much they were investing in technology, I used to write a, an article about it back when I was uh, working for um, a company that's now Dodge data and analytics. Back then it was McGraw-Hill Construction and we had a trade publication called Engineering News Record. I used to write an article um, construction company is dead last in its investment in technology. And uh, you know it was partially based on a ratio of you know dollars revenue to to IT, which I don't really think is the best uh, ratio. But you know, um, you know, it's a metric that you could use to benchmark investment and and construction companies. You know, with three four percent margins at best on a project, uh, we started seeing. Uh, we started seeing uh, you know, them looking at investing in more in technology. Yeah, and
0: I think it what's also interesting with the with the you know, advent of cloud services and SaaS services and development, right? I mean I've I've run a couple of software companies and the ability to accelerate development with technologies today and roll applications out are is is exponential to where it was with my first software company in the mid two thousands. Um and that's creating mm-hmm. a disruption, disruption force, right? Because you've got companies out there saying, "Hey, you know, let's go disrupt the the landscaping business by bringing in a SaaS application." You know, my exterminator comes by with an iPad now, right? You would never mm-hmm. have seen that, you know, five years ago. And what's mm-hmm. how that's able to happen is is that SaaS applications and these companies are out there saying, "Hey, let's go disrupt this space, and let's technology enable, and we can enable." you know, 10,000 landscaping companies through a single SaaS platform. It doesn't have to be on-prem. There's nothing. All they have to do is pay a subscription. And there's, you know, the, the, the advent of technology and the ability to roll out applications fast has is, is created really this acceleration. So, and, and one thing you talked about a lot, and I'd love to kind of get your take on it, is all this comes really with not a lot more budget, right? And no... no um, no pass on service availability rebels right so everybody you know you know, I, you know operations teams mm-hmm. you need to manage more right everything's more complex you're not getting any more people uh, and you're not getting any more budget and service availability is more critical than ever
1: yeah uh, i'll share a few perspectives on this you know first is if anyone out there believes that CIOs don't have to fight for every dollar um, in their budget, You know whether it's considered carryover and operational from previous years or innovation budgets to really drive transformation, we spend at least a third of our time the second half of our year just fighting for dollars, fighting for priorities because we know we need uh, business people to participate in all of our projects and really leading all of them you know, trying to get alignment with our IT teams in terms of platforms in terms of, you know, how we're instrumenting things. So it's a, it, it's not easy getting dollars for anything. And, you know, uh, we used to have these nice ratios 1015 years ago, of trying to project how many people we needed in operations to run our technology. And we do them by servers, we do them by applications, we do them some kind of ratio like that, to make it simple for our CFO to continue to put dollars into that. And all that's gone by the wayside. I mean, there's no easy way to justify dollars based on just the footprint that you're managing. And in fact, I mean, I would say the status quo is every state CIO is under pressure to shift dollars out of operations into grow and transform budgets, right? And so you look at what I said earlier, we're adding more technologies, we're expecting higher service levels, we're not phasing out legacy technologies as fast as we're adding them. And our budgets at best are flat in the operating area or shrinking. And so now I need a different game plan to address that. Right. I need a you know, I need a different way of thinking about how I'm going to manage all these different environments. And, you know, the history of that goes back to things that we were doing 10, 20 years ago before the cloud. You know, someone smart figured out how to configure a network device or configure a server, and we started to do two things to enable the repeatability of building that server out or being able to, um, you know, uh, resolve an issue, we started automating it, you know, I used to run 40, 50 people in an IT shop and doing uh, SaaS software 20 years ago, there's only two people in it just Mm -hmm. plugging in cards and plugging in storage, the rest of it, we had to automate, you know, and so if a web server went down, we started writing scripts to figure out how to restart them. You know, when we figured out what a server image looked like, we wrote scripts or we developed playbooks so that we knew how to make it repeatable. And we did it in whatever vernacular we used. You know, I did a lot of Perl code and shell code. I know a, a lot of Windows developers did that in PowerScript, you know. And then I remember seeing the very first time somebody said, Hey, we can take your make file or your ANS script and automate the entire process around it not just the build but and uh, automate the entire pipeline we can show you what builds are on what environments we can say you know here's the build we can push it out to multiple environments and i'm like holy cow Mm. I wish I had invented that because I'd been doing that my whole life. Um, and here was this nice piece of software that does that. Now, of course, that's part of the, the DevOps food chain of uh, CICD, and there's all kinds of families of automation that's out there. But uh, we have to be pretty aggressive in IT to be able to go there, right? It takes expertise to know how to script. It takes knowledge of what platforms to use, for what to automate in, and, uh, you know, Sean, Robustness doesn't come for free. It, it's actually not that easy to write a set of orchestrated processes and steps that say, you know, let's go set up a, a web server, configure a database, push this code over here, you know, copy this database over here, bring everything up, and now run a smoke test of a 50 tests to make sure everything is working. Any one of those steps can fail. and then what? i'm Mm -hmm. back calling up people on on the phone to get them to resolve that so robustness is just not easy um and so we in operations we gotta work twice as hard number one to figure out what the steps are number two to automate them three make them robust and then run them and maintain them in production and that's how you get to the point where you're really running things as efficiently as you need to handle the increased load and demand. Uh, for yeah, so that brings
0: customers. us to our kind of a second topic I wanted to really kind of hit with you on, and that is AI ops, right? AI ops okay. is a kind of a game changer in this space. So, uh, what have you been talking to some of your your clients and and CIOs about regarding AI ops?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the problem statement is pretty well understood by most people who have lived and breathed off operations. And there's really two sides of the AI ops equation. You know, one is, you know, every time we realize that the business is discovering an incident, an issue, we're putting out a new set of technology to monitor it we're educating our developers how to improve the observability of our applications and you know we had systems monitors we had network monitors we had application monitors we have uh, data pipeline monitors and then all of a sudden we have monitors that are checking for everything but when there's a real problem something that we can't anticipate we're on a bridge call with 16 different people trying to figure out what problem cause the issue and how to discover root cause and how to solve for it. So we've all lived this before. Um, and, you know, we understand there's data lakes and data warehousing technologies that can bring all this data together um, and start using machine learning to start giving us some better intelligence. You know, how do we correlate this data? How do we discover what the right incidents are? And that's a very big part of the AI ops story. Right. Being able to bring all this data in in one environment and then being able to automatically tell us what the likely causes are, um, proactively recommend solutions around it and actually remediate issues a lot faster than we've ever done before. The other side of it is connecting that intelligence into our automation. Right. And so it's one thing to have data. It's another thing to have insights. You know, I still don't want to have five people in a room looking at all these panes of glass and figuring out what to do next. I want to connect this into my automations and say, let's, you know, under these circumstances where I have high likelihood that this is a web server that needs restarting, go kick off this script and run these, this restart. Um, if my outage is lasting more than three minutes, automate a communication in slacker teams to my business users that uh, we've had an outage that's now been resolved. If an outage is taking more than 10 minutes, maybe then inform the DevOps team, tell them to break their sprint. We need them involved looking at an issue. So that kind of entire orchestration process is essentially what AIOps is. And when you unpack it, there are really things that we've been doing our entire it's just now that there are platforms there's cloud there's expertise in being able to do this at yeah scale.
0: I, I think you know going back to the monitoring piece right one of the with with our customers that we talk to and we work with um mm. it really comes down to and i've talked about this a million times uh that the primary use case right now um and i say primary because i see you know what i keep telling everybody is ai ops is a strategy right it's not a platform but the primary use cases we're seeing right now is in that observability mm-hmm. space and how do we how do we bring all this data together because we're getting tremendous amounts of data i mean i've got customers who are collecting a terabyte of data on splunk alone right i mean how, how are you supposed to do anything with that right so we you know we need to be able to process this data and bring all these different data sources together so we can understand exactly what's happening and that's. Kind of the 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 machine learning of 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 observability and and uh you know but ultimately you know there's there's also simplicity right and i'm a big believer in in trying to make things as simple as possible and when you have you know customer like some of our customers who have 35 monitoring tools you know kind of what you talked about right i mean we almost have monitoring tools and monitoring tools remember moms (laughs) right manager managers um and um, you know, I th- <laughs> you know the- yeah. by the way, that was a real term back in the day. The um, you know, this, this pre- I, 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 I know. All, I'm just trying to tell our audience <laughs> who probably aren't as old as us um, that you know, the you know, trying to drive simplicity, right? Whether it's consolidation of tools, consolidation or reduction of tools based on bringing in more next gen technology uh, and re- retiring legacy, as you said or consolidation to platforms that um, can provide that integration of multiple types of domains of products together into a single platform. That's all ultimately where we're, we, we've got to get to. And, and I think you're right, uh, I, I don't think you're right. I know you're right when it comes to ultimately what are we really trying to do here, right? What, what is the strategy? When, so when I talk about AI ops as a strategy, what is that strategy? the strategy is really to get to like an autonomic operations. Right. And how do you do that? It's, it's, you've got to have the upfront piece, you've got to have the observability, got to have the analytics, got to have the the decision-making, but then you actually have to act on it. And you're right. The, the, the understanding of, of the process by which you make a decision to, you know, to do something. And is that decision uh, a kind of discrete discrete action? Like let's, throttle a server right or throttle a a a, a workload uh or Mm -hmm. is it you know let's look at the cmdb let's grab information from the cdb let's understand the service how does the service map how does the service map to particular elements of the infrastructure whether it's in cloud or on-prem let's then use that information to key off one of three other options And, and it gets complicated right and i think that it has done a very good job over the years of automating things but what we end up with is that we end up with a lot of kind of discrete automations a lot of scripts you know and even how to manage those scripts is is <laughs> you know almost impossible like i i worked with a customer back in you know late late almost 2000 a little bit before 2000 they had over 2000 scripts running Right, they didn't even know what scripts were running at any given time, right? Um, and they had no way of actually inventorying that. So the Sean, I, Go I ahead.
1: you're teeing oh. up a softball All thing right. that I just got a hit here because you're, um, you know, I te- <laughs> I tell a story in Digital Trailblazer, and it's my story of thousands of scripts, and it was uh, you know we had a data processing program that, you know, had five pieces of software that needed to run to process this data. And every piece of software had a script to basically encapsulate Mm -hmm. starting it and stopping it. And then we had scripts that were doing error detection, to make sure that none of these uh, applications were holding. And then we had scripts that were processing the log files, Uh, so that there were any error conditions we knew what to alert off of it. Uh, and we had scripts that orchestrated this Mm -hmm. whole thing end to end, and it was a colossal mess. And, uh, you know, I went from developing the applications to developing the scripts to manage them so I could sleep at night, at least nine out of 10 nights, and then became the CTO. And I was like, how the heck am I going to give this pile of mess to a team to manage? And that's what I did. And it wasn't easy. Um, And they would curse at me all the time when they couldn't figure out what was going on. And that's the nature of the problem. And you're right. It's not you know, there's some things that have gotten easier, right? We have, I think, better platforms for automation. We have AI ops. We have data lakes and data management platforms. But, um, you know, I tell another story in the book of four call centers, about 300 workstations, robo dialers, um, and um, um, uh, surveys that were programmed, you know, highly automated surveys, and the system isn't performing well. And now we're trying to figure out You know, is it the survey? Is it the robo dialers? Is it one network? Is it one workstation? Is it uh, a a call center? What in the whole chain of stuff going on is the root cause of a performance problem? And then you could take it one step further, right? Many organizations are investing in microservices. They're connecting to third-party APIs. They're running, uh, you know, an end-to-end service that mixes public clouds and hybrid clouds and some on the edge. And now you have a performance problem or you have a security issue or you're trying to understand an impact analysis. And yeah, we've gotten some better tools out there, but we've also increased the overall complexity of the environment that we're trying to manage. Sorry, I had to cut you off, but you just like, yeah,
0: I I just had to get that story. uh, Speaking to the or singing to the choir. Right. So. So let's, let's kind of, I mean, we talked, so we talked about monitoring, we talked about, you know, use cases, we talked about automation, Uh, I could we could probably, I'll have you back. And we'll talk about automation for like a whole show, just because it's like I said, it's a place near and dear to my heart. Um, Where do you see, like, yeah, so let's, so if you're a CIO today, right, and you're thinking about AI ops, right, and you're hearing all this stuff, and, and maybe you even got, you know, a platform. You know that you're starting to kind of test out, uh, or maybe you're, you're using an existing piece of software that uh, monitoring that they're saying, "Hey, does we are an AI ops vendor?" And I think that's one of the big problems going on right now. There's just so much confusion about what AI ops is and who does it, who doesn't do it, and it's become a marketing jargon. But let's put that off to the side. Mm-hmm. If if you look at you know if you're talking to a, a CIO today, that's basically saying i i think i need to get into this space right i need to start thinking about this um i we're doing a little bit of testing but i'm not really sure like like how to translate that into something bigger what would you tell them right now of where they should be focusing their time and energy and how they should be kind of getting into this ai ops game
1: Well, I think you answered your first question as a starting point. I think the CIO has to define a strategy and a vision about what IT operations needs to look like over the next three, five, seven years. Without that, you're going to get different people on your team looking at different tools, and you're going to get into a tool battle. And do I focus on, you know, Monitoring. Do I focus on data centralization and machine learning? Do I focus on on automation? And if I focus on any one of those three, what part of the business and what applications do I focus on? You're, you very quickly get into the weeds of lots of people getting involved in implementation, rather than looking at it top down and saying what What are we trying to really um, impact over a period of time? Because you know, we have wide footprints, we have a lot of technologies out there. You know, some of them are gonna last a lot longer than even our own tenures. And, you know, if I'm a CIO, I'm gonna be there two, three, or five years. I wanna say, be able to tell the board, the executive group, you know, to my staff and saying, we're gonna be looking at an AI ops investment over that period of time, because this is what IT operations needs to look like as we're investing in technologies right and so what is that you know what does that look like you know and so i look at defining strategy from two vantage points one is from the lens of customer right if i make that investment who's the customer of this you know what are we trying to impact from them and with an ai ops investment there are a few i mean if you've got a lot of customer facing technologies i'm going to look at defining customer as end users buyers um, and trying to define what experiences I'm trying to impact by pr- providing better performance and more reliable systems. I'm also going to talk about my staff, right? You know, most IT operations staff sucks, are stressed out. You know, when there's a 3 a.m. call and they know they got to respond to an issue, um, get that problem resolved before the business wakes up at 5 a.m. and then go do their J-job after that and do that three times a week, you bet I'm going to put IT operations in my vision and say this is part of what I'm trying to resolve around here. I also look at this from a strategic lens. And what that means is being able to go back to my board and my executives, knowing that there's 50 different things that I might want to invest in. There's security I know I have to invest in. There's single sign-on technologies that I want to invest in. There're data platforms I want to invest in. Why am I investing in AI ops right now? And for different companies it's different reasons. I mean, if you're doing a lot of machine learning right? If that's your platform, I'm going to be looking at how do I analyze my environment to support my data scientists and make sure machine learning is running in production well. If I'm doing a lot of app development with microservices, I'm going to say, look, if I don't develop an AI op strategy around my microservices, I'm going to have hundreds of microservices and no way of monitoring them and knowing what's broken. So I'm going to align this and say, here's why I need to do this now. And then I'm going to do the third thing. This is probably the hardest thing For the cio to do which is come up with a set of principles that help the team prioritize what areas of the business are we going to focus on in year one around an ai ops initiative and you know again i like looking at that customer lens and that strategic lens and saying here are the places i can have the most impact around what i'm doing and at the same time um Be feasible, right? Start with something that we know we can go do, you know, and so for one of my clients, I mean, they were doing 30 bridge calls a month for P1 issues, they were growing astronomically, they were a customer facing set of technologies, they'd also been around for a decade. Um, So, you know, they had their own legacy issues to deal with, they were moving to the cloud. Um, those are all things that they were trying to do. And you look at all that and say, I need a strategy that says, when I start moving to the cloud, I can improve performance and reduce the struts on my IT teams, get down from 30 bridge calls, maybe to 20 over the first year. How do we do that? Right. And so now you're so all of a sudden set a priority saying, I'm going to go look at where those bridge calls are happening and say, how can they yeah, I,
0: I think and- you bring up a really, really good point. And, and, um, uh, we won't go into it too much here, but I, 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 I co-host a monthly kind of, uh, private group of, mm-hmm. of CIOs and leaders, and we have roughly 30 to 50 people on the call per month. And we have guests that come in and we talk about things. One of the biggest things that came out recently is the IT organization, right? Cause we sit, we talk so much about technology and use cases mm-hmm. and, and honestly, it's, it's so much of this is driven by industry, right? And vendors and vendors are out there trying to get their technology into organization mm-hmm. and all the marketing that they get. And I was really kind of intrigued when somebody kind of raised their hand, and said, can we just talk about the it organization and like how we should be best organized? Uh, mm. and everyone agreed. So that's kind of what we're working on next, right? Is, is putting together a couple sessions on, on, what should you be thinking about when you're bringing on people how do you deal with retention how do you be, deal with stress right and you know it, you know we say over at winward you know operations is the belly of the beast right and uh you know we're getting calls at you know one mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning and like you said you know p1 calls and and on weekends and it's just the life that you know operations operators leave uh, mm-hmm. live so now I, I just wanted to kind of really highlight that point because I think it's it's we get so lost in the technology and the use cases and things like that that um, there does there needs to be a lot of conversation about the organization itself All right uh, great well i think
1: no let's uh... go ahead S- yeah, I was just gonna say that's something I live in, live and breathe. <laughs> um, you know, the technology it needs to be simplified to your words, and then you go back to the org and say, well, given the technologies we have, ones that we are likely to invest in in the next couple of years, you know, how do we drive drive the most impact, and how do we prioritize so we dele- deliver meaningful impact without, you know, killing and stressing ourselves yeah, out. Yeah,
0: excellent. Bit. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. We we will uh, you, we you will be back on our on our show again in the future because I, I I love talking to you. Um, so let's let's uh, one you. more plug for your your book Tra- Digital Trailblazer. So when it comes out, I mean, obviously, just, is it is it ready for pre order on Amazon or?
1: Yeah, it, it's on pre order, you can find it under um, digital trailblazer or look me up Isaac Sekolik. Um, or just come to my website starcio.com slash digital dash trailblazer. It will take you there. Um, or find me on Twitter. I mean, people like asking me questions all the time on Twitter. And um, why Ike on Twitter, I would love answering feedback um, and handling uh, your questions. So just a lot of different ways to buy awesome. the book, and well, I um, really
0: appreciate you being on the show. Uh, this was a great conversation, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk soon. So, thank you very much. Excellent.
1: Enjoy <laughs> yeah, the, that weather down the, in Florida. Uh,
0: 88 degree <laughs> weather at 11 o'clock in the morning. So, awesome. All right, thanks, Isaac. We'll talk. We'll talk soon. Take care.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, Sean.